0: Hello and welcome to Life and Inside Job, the podcast where we centre our internal experiences as sources of comfort, nourishment and creativity. My name is Kate, I'm the author of Second Spring, The Self-Care Guide to Menopause and I'm a writer, mentor, speaker, artist and facilitator. The other thing that I love to do is have soulful, meandering conversations with people about how their inner lives nourish them. And this is what Life and Inside Job is all about. If you're in perimenopause, in menopause, or in your second spring or summer, you might enjoy the wealth of yoga nidras, visual guides to the seasons, meditations and workshops that are free and very easy to access. Just go to my website, katecodrington.co.uk and click on the button that says start here. It is my delight to hold space for people like you to deepen into your body wisdom and your soul's longing so that you can refine trust in your cyclical nature and use the cues from your inner seasons to navigate this world with presence and delight into the second cycle of your life. this can be one-to-one sessions with the menopause doula service or I can make it really easy for you to organize a retreat day or a talk a workshop or a circle for you and your community just book a free chat and we can figure out what might work for you over a cup of tea together my guest is Suzanne Yates an acclaimed international therapist teacher author Researcher and innovator, author of three books, and now working on the fourth. She works with people at all stages of their lives, from babies and pregnant mothers to the elderly. And her speciality is women's health. She's a published author, an expert in the field of pre- and postnatal Shiatsu and bodywork, and she's been teaching parents, doctors, midwives, Shiatsu therapists, and massage practitioners worldwide for the last thirty years or more. And she taught me pregnancy shiatsu back in the noughties. And in this episode, Suzanne shares with us the Chinese medicine view of menopause and a totally different and positive narrative about ageing. What the extraordinary vessels are and how they support us. And the most important thing you need to do in perimenopause and menopause why our wounds get triggered at this time and why it's actually easier to change in menopause. Together we find better names for our reproductive organs and we look at how Chinese medicine theory does not predict any decrease in libido for women and we ponder what happens to the thousands of eggs that are not released in the female body. And what happens to those dead sperm? And we think about the relationship between conception, birth, puberty, menopause and death. And Suzanne closes with a beautiful practice that she created for us. Oh, there's so much in this episode. It's such a good one. Anyway, there's a bit of a change in tone. Tech tech alert. There's a bit of a change in tone. Ten minutes in where the tech suddenly decided to work. So after that, the sound quality changes. Don't worry about that. And uh, the first thing you'll hear is a chunk of flattery about Second Spring from Suzanne, which I left in because I could. And hey, she's my teacher, and we all need that kind of validation sometimes.
1: <laughs> I really love your work and your book because it's a much more whole, holistic for want of a better word way of looking at it and with its with its laughs I like your humor (laughs) it's laughs it's but and it's joys and lovely things that can happen during the menopause and yes there are challenges and I was just saying to you I feel on the one hand it's really good that more is being talked about regarding the menopause but it seems to be a lot around everything that can go wrong and medicalizing it and making it an illness, which it really is not at all an illness, it's a natural phase in our lives. And as you know, I work a lot with Chinese medicine and the Chinese, well, that's the title of your book, isn't it? They saw it as the second spring. And it literally is that because it's, it's a time of renewal, we can rebirth, Ourselves. I mean, I can talk more about that if you want, but it's an opportunity to be reborn and to become, a, well, not a, not di- just a different version of who we can be. And the get, and the Chinese talk about it as being a gateway. There's actually seven, no, eight gateways in our life, and the first one is conception, and then birth, and it's all the key times in our lives, like puberty, and the seventh gateway is. menopause and the next gateway is death (laughs) when we leave our body so it's interesting the first seven gateways are only halfway through our lives i like to see it as halfway through our life only halfway because the chinese saw the natural span of our life as a hundred years and i think it's quite nice if we look at it so it's going to be quite a powerful gateway because it's preparing us for the whole of the rest of our life. Whether we live to be a hundred or not, that's another thing. But you know, it's a long-term thing. If we're having well, we enter the menopause, well, we finish our periods and we don't menstruate or ovulate, most women are around 50. So that's halfway there. I mean they see the gateways, it's an opportunity for transformation. And so, and the the most powerful gateway, of course, is coming into this body. That's why I also mentioned death, because it's leaving this body. And as you know, I worked a lot, my early years of work were a lot with pregnancy and birth, and those are the early gateways so how we come into our physical body if you believe that there's a soul that chooses to incarnate you may or may not believe that but certainly how we are born has a huge impact on how we experience our life for the rest of our life so that's the second gateway our birth whether we were received with love or whether it was really stressful but each gateway is said to have its gifts and its challenges. So with the, as we pass through a gateway, like in life, we can either become stronger and empowered and or sail through it, or it can be a challenge. And it's not like one is good or one is bad. It's just it's different experiences. And so the earlier gateways have a more profound effect on us. So then our next gateway when we're born... But then how we then relate to our mother and how we start to become independent. So in fact, the the next gateway is when we stand upright, because then we're standing, we have our feet on the ground and we come into, that's a a new version of our being. So again, the first year of our life is very important. And again, how we experience that, were we supported, was it challenging? And then the next gateway as you say is puberty that's like another way of who we are another expression of ourselves when we have much more of an opportunity to break family any well let go of anything within our family history but not necessarily i mean puberty as as we know and a lot is now being talked about puberty and our basic core identity it's a challenging a challenging time so that's the first gateway where there's hormonal changes in our body but again it's an opportunity and it can be a really challenging time and i think puberty is a challenging time for most people, isn't it? I mean, the ancient Chinese didn't, it wasn't quite lived in the same way in ancient China, but it's still a challenging time when we come into our adult being. And then other gateways, it's interesting, the gateways are described more for women just because they're clearer, because women's cycles, women's gateways are much more definite once we get beyond puberty.
2: Yeah, so for men... The gateways are not as definite once we get beyond puberty because for men there's not the menstrual cycle for a start i mean obviously some people talk about men having a cycle but it's a continuous production of sperm so it's not a cycle in the same way i mean like women they have their peak fertility and then their fertility declines but there's not marking points like for women obviously with the menopause the end of the end of fertility completely there isn't that stopping for men in the same kind of way but also women pass through other gateways that men don't in the same physical way women obviously giving birth and then well conceiving and then women's energies change a lot during pregnancy so pregnancy itself for from a woman's point of view is considered another gateway it's an opportunity to come into a new way of being and men don't have that in the same way obviously men are affected by having a child by being a parent and i've read some interesting research recently about how men also like women do have hormonal changes around the time that a baby is born and do have higher rates of depression so again, pregnancy and birth, which are considered often really amazing times in people's lives, can also be challenging times when women can women are at the highest rate of depression after giving birth. But men also can become depressed in the first year of having a baby. So it is a gateway for men, but it's not quite as defined. And then for women, breastfeeding, and if, if women do breastfeed, I mean, women of course if they're not breastfeeding they're still holding their baby and feeding their baby and if a woman is breastfeeding then there are physical changes as well in the body so that's also seen another gateway and oh actually I forgot the one of the other gateways which is actually quite important I got ahead of myself pregnancy and birth but obviously in order to be pregnant you have to conceive and so Another gateway is the first sexual experiences because when we first open up to another in a sexual way, that's considered a new, another gateway. We're relating to another, hopefully another adult um, uh, in a way, in a new way. So that's a gateway. So the gateways are really when something new happens in terms of either physically In our body, but also that affects how we relate to ourselves, our basic identity, and how we relate to other people.
0: So I can in my mind as as I'm listening to you, I can hear, I can imagine gateways lining up. And so Mm. looking through a portal in menopause, it's as though the issues that we had at in puberty. In our early sexual experiences around conception, become much more available to us. Yes, exactly. Through there, and I think that you know, people, my clients, often say things like, um, "Well, I, I thought I'd, I thought I'd uh, sorted out this issue." And I've healed from all that, and I've done so much work. <laughs> I've done so much work. I've done so much work around this, and here it is again. And there's a sort of, you know, there's a, an unspoken sense of shame and failing that that it hasn't been fixed or sorted by you know mm-hmm. by by our forties, fifties, sixties, whatever. Um, but it makes sense thinking about mm-hmm. gateways. That it's it's actually and the way I conceive it is, it's another opportunity to. To lose another layer, or look at look at a deeper layer of meaning. Mm.
2: Uh, that's a yeah, that's a really beautiful way of describing it, and that's totally what it's like. And I mean, yes, things we can never change the past, but we can change our relationship to the past. And I agree with you, and and I my clients but also myself I've often thought uh, things still come up to me even after the menopause it's not like it stops once you've gone are you, gone not, are the you not completely healed and <laughs> holy Suzanne well, no I'm not, I'm not. <laughs> so, and I think it's that humaneness as well that realizing that you know there's just always another layer like you say I mean the me- but these gateways are times when it can become very intense yeah and it and like you say it's an opportunity and it rekindles those experiences and especially the menopause for me it rekindles a lot of the time around our puberty and around our first sexual experiences but then that puberty has triggers and brings up our first relationships to our parents I mean things like our early family relationships do impact on us for the rest of our lives and I like you say that you can have a lot of shame I mean I'm now I'm in my early 60s and it's like last year I had COVID and COVID for me but illnesses also are, are considered a form of gateway brought up a whole lot of stuff that I thought ah I'm, I thought I'd healed all of that and it, it's not as in, it feels as intense but I work through it quicker but it is that those layers are always still there in some way because they're part of who we are but we're given a new opportunity to have a different kind of relationship with them and to not feel ashamed of it. I agree with you. I think a lot of people do feel, yeah, but I should have dealt with that already. Why is my my relationship with my mother still an issue? My mum died um, eight years ago. And I felt a big liberation when she died. So yes, death is also a gateway We don't have to wait till we die to go through the gateway of death. You know, when when people who are close to us die, that's also another opportunity. And certainly with my mum, when she died, I felt a lot of freedom because her physical body was no longer there, keeping me attached to those patterns of the past. But there's still the memory of all of that within my body.
0: So we seem to be talking a lot about I don't know. There's a there's a sort of under undertow here of of sexual energy. Of can you talk a bit about how Chinese medicine regards libido in the wi- widest sense, the the sort of uh, appetite for life, for vitality, and how that shifts as we age?
2: Oh, that's really interesting. Um, they. Because more, yeah, I'm trying to think of the best way of answering that. I mean, they do see puberty and the gateway of sexuality is obviously very linked with puberty, that we're awakening our sexual organs in a different way. We're having different feelings and sensations and... Trying to think, but yes, but sexuality is in 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 our libido, our feelings of sexuality or intimacy is not only about expressing that through. Well, there's there's so many different sexual expressions, aren't there? Mm -hmm. It could just be through touch. It could be through penetration they actually talk about different gateways in physical gateways in the body that can open up during sex and they have all these lovely names like the jade stem for the penis and the the tiger's grotto for the vagina and they did talk about the clitoris and and all these sorts of things and they said they, they do see that's a new opportunity to express our energy and but they did see a very big difference and I don't know if this is totally answering your question, but between men and women, because they felt that for women to express their sexuality, they don't see it as depleting for women. So they never really laid down any guidelines because the Chinese often would lay guidelines down for how to live to live a nice, healthy, long, fulfilling life and for women they actually felt that women could express their sexuality in whatever way they wanted because sex the, or the sexual act and an orgasm and the fluids that women lose during sexuality are not depleting for them but for men and and this is obviously this is the well known bit for men it's sex is mostly depleting through ejaculation because men's sexual fluids Semen and sperm are an expression of their essence, and so that's where you get all the Taoist practices of retaining um, semen and reversing it, doing ejaculation so you reverse the flow and don't lose your essence. And so the Chinese, definitely, I suppose in terms of men, you could say they had, yes, their sexuality was more linked to the gateways and to the ages, and so men in terms of how much sex they had especially with ejaculation it was very well very prescribed there were guidelines depending on your age and depending on your state of health and the older you were and the less well you were then you sexuality was not to be expressed so much through ejaculation and they also felt that for women that men There are some kind of strange traditions as well, because they felt that women's fluids during sex would nourish men. And so they felt that it was important for men to receive fluids from women. So that's quite interesting. But they also see sexuality or they, they, I suppose you could say, see it as an awakening of our sexual organs in a different way. But sexual organs or reproductive organs, I'm never sure which, how to call them. But the Chinese have lovely names for them, which are our palaces. And I think that's really nice, our palaces. And so our palaces have lots of different aspects, lots of different rooms within them so and and gateways like outer gateways and inner gateways and and i i actually now like to talk about palaces because reproductive organs and sexual organs feels a bit limiting so if you're talking very the wider clinical, sense isn't it very clinical and it's like why don't we have nicer words like the chinese did
0: yeah, i think jane <laughs> um, what's the name jane oh god jane hardwick collins uh, had a campaign to reclaim the names for women's organs, and because so many of them are named named after men or patriots yeah. sort and of patriarchal symbols. Yeah, have to, I'll have to chase that down and see how that went. But I think I think there was some beautiful there was some beautiful
2: renaming going on there. <laughs> oh, that uh, yeah, I I think that would be really good to think about the names. So maybe you know maybe that's part of our lack of being able to fully express ourselves feeling everything is quite medicalized and like our fallopian tubes that was named after an obstetrician wasn't it Mm -hmm. and our ovaries and even our uterus yeah to have like more poetic names so i like to think of the ovaries more as our our inner caves and we can travel down them through the tunnels and and our 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 eggs are like our golden seeds um, and that we can choose how we want to use them and express them. Yeah. Yeah. Golden. So
0: what in your um practice, your personal practice, and in w- what you teach, what what um how can we nourish the seeds of our ovaries? Because <laughs> <laughs> we're and, and just to be explicit. We're talking about – well, I'm thinking about – I don't know what you're thinking about. I'm thinking about our creativity and our our creative fertility in the wide sense and how we can nourish our creative fertility and how we can express it.
2: Yes. And and for me, because, of course, up until the menopause, we have eggs. But the, the way that the Chinese explain the menopause, and I think this is a really nice way of seeing that the eggs are a part of our expression of creativity. Like you say, the seeds in our ovaries are one aspect of our creativity. And that's why many women do feel that their creativeness comes from their womb. But creativity doesn't just have to be physically creating a baby. It's it's a, it's an energy that we can express in all sorts of creative ways through gardening or drawing or writing or or in our relationships with people and so i've been looking a lot about the journey of the egg as an expression of our creative creativity and that only so many eggs actually physically mature for ovulation like a few hundred out of several millions that we started off with when we were in the womb and what happens to all these eggs that um die but die is that really a good word because they transform into something else that's how i see it now i like to think of all these eggs just transforming into other energies within our body sort of
0: reintegrated back into into the ovary is that what happens
2: No, I think it's more, I think it's broader than that. They they get reintegrated into our body somehow, but I don't think it's necessarily limited within the ovary that they necessarily stay there. But there's actually not much written about that. I mean, if any of your listeners know more about what happens to these eggs, because all I've ever found is, well, they are reabsorbed in the body. But well, my I'm just, is... I'm
0: just my mind is blown. I've never <laughs> thought to a- ask this question before. Where does what <laughs> <laughs> there is some of that? But it's 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 part of this piece where there's so much that we don't know. There's so much that we don't understand yeah. about female reproductive biology.
2: Yeah, and where do all the dead sperm go? I mean, I have spent quite a long time trying to work it out (laughs) and and people just say, well, it's just reabsorbed in the body. And that seems to be the answer. I mean, I'm sure eventually with modern science, they could work out what happens to them. But I don't know if anybody's interested in that bit, whereas that's the question that I ask is, well, what happens to all these? What does happen to all these eggs? And. I suppose some of that does come from Chinese medicine because you were saying, how how do I see the creativity in a wider sense? Is that the Chinese way of seeing the menopause is that all these eggs that until the menopause could potentially be transformed into a baby, but then that baby, we need to keep nourishing for nine months for it to grow and then nourish it for another, at least a year, quite physically and then for the rest of our life and at a certain point we don't have that amount of energy anymore because we need it for ourselves so one of my students a few years ago said that she experienced the menopause as that she's the baby this time and a lot of the changes in our body are actually quite similar to the first trimester of pregnancy but this time we're the baby so all our energies start to change and reorganize to nourish us. So I definitely see that the eggs, even though I don't know tangibly where in the body they're reabsorbed, but for me, that it just feels like, yeah, they're reabsorbed because then we need them to nourish us in our other forms of creativity. And that's why the menopause is the second spring. It's like we are, we can, in a way, go back to being the baby again and receive all of this nourishment that we have been preparing each month from when we started bleeding to when we stopped bleeding for somebody else and then it is turned around and it's there for us so So that a really really explicit here
0: you're saying that the it's a time for where we it's time for us to receive
2: yes definitely and I think that's part of the problem these days that, well, partly because a lot of women are having children when they're older, aren't they? So in the menopause, they're looking after young children still, and also older ageing parents. Um, and we get kind of stuck in the middle. But actually it is a time when we need to have time to be the baby and to be nourished and to find relationships and activities that nourish us and I think
0: for someone listening who maybe has younger children or is a carer for parents what what can you offer them to help them shift their perspective into being even being able to consider being the one who receives when they've been giving so much
2: well I think I mean what I try and say to my clients is but think of how much energy you're giving to your children, you know, if you're giving to your children and you're giving to your parents, but what are you giving to you? Just to ask even the question sometimes. I mean, often they are giving to them. They are giving to themselves when they come to see me for shiatsu. And I say, you know, that's really important to take that time to give to you. Because if you don't start making yourself the centre and, and feeling, I think, also that you need to receive, because I think in our society, it's almost like we're, we're almost led to believe that we should be able to do everything. And I know for me, but also for a lot of people that, yeah, we should, of course, we should have energy to look after our parents and to look after our children and to look after our partner and whatever, whatever. But what about us? and? And not to feel guilty about just saying, actually, I don't want to do, I need a break. I need to make time for me. I can't look after everybody else all of the time, especially if I'm older, especially if I've, you know, if I've gone past 50, yes, I can still be strong and vital and creative. But only if I look after myself, I have to also make room for me as the baby as receiving and and receiving body work is a great Mm
0: -hmm. platform to practice receiving as well yes it's something that i've received regularly for a long time and i'm still i still i'm lying and you know i've paid for a session and i've made the time and i'm receiving the session and there are still ways in which I can resist, be closed, um, get distracted, thinking about things and basically not receiving. So my, yes. my, um, my focus at the moment is on how much can I let go of all that stuff and really receive mm-hmm. in these sessions? Because that I notice that has a direct relationship to how much I can receive in the rest of my life.
2: Yes, you're right. Because even when people make time to receive, they're not necessarily receiving. And if they can't receive in that moment of lying down and having someone else really take care of them, yes, like you say, it does impact on the rest of their life. And that's why I feel, for me, bodywork is a really powerful way of accessing all of this. And in terms of like, how do I work with the creativity of the, the eggs? But in Chinese medicine, that's seen as an expression of our essence. And our essence is what the energy that that creates us at the moment of our conception. And it's an energy that we need to look after because we can never get more of it. You had a previous podcast recently when um, you talked. I can't remember her name now, but she was talking about kidney energy and how kidneys are really important in Chinese medicine. And the reason that they're, well, one of the reasons they're important is because it's the kidneys that store the essence. And so we really need to look after our kidneys so that we don't deplete our essence. And how how this essence is circulated in our body is through some really powerful vessels. And so when I work with people that are tired and depleted, I work with really supporting the kidneys and the extraordinary vessels. And the extraordinary vessels link the kidneys with our palaces, with our womb, with our ovaries, with our fallopian tubes, whatever we want to call them, with our eggs, or, or not our eggs that aren't in our ovaries, but in another part of our body somewhere after the menopause, and they also link us to our heart and how we feel in our heart and also into our brain, which they saw the brain as being a very important organ, kind of in the way that we do in modern science, but also our brain because it relates to how we connect with the wider space, um, like in more people know about, say, the crown chakra chakra, or the third eye, how we can just kind of open up and go beyond our busyness and everything that's really important, like in the current moment that's taking our attention and just let go and connect with a much bigger space and be nourished by everything around us, by nature, by space. The brain's a very important organ for connecting with space. The crown chakra, it's important points in Chinese medicine. So I work a lot with that relationship between connecting us with the space and our infinite potential, but also being quite grounded as well. For me, the palaces and the kidneys are quite grounding organs. And if we can come into that, and they're in the middle of our body, so we come into our center, which are our palaces and our kidneys, And just feel that connection between the earth below, through our legs, through our feet, where we are now, and the stillness, the slowness of the earth and her rhythms. And then we can also connect up into our brain and into the space, which has a much faster paced rhythm, and how we can just really draw on that bigger support of the whole universe. That's what Chinese medicine is about for me.
0: And you for people who, who don't, there are many people who won't have heard of the extraordinary vessels, and this is mm. your, your special area of interest. <laughs> and it is it is an extraordinarily profound, both it's very profound and also very easy, easily accessed mm. um, uh, system. So I I'd love to hear I'd love to hear your sort of um
2: extraordinary vessels beginner's class <laughs> for people <laughs> like, what now in one minute or like yeah, just now a, in one minute yeah, oh, now in one minute. Um <laughs> in a very simple way, the extraordinary vessels are said to be the energies that come into being at conception. So they're very linked with all these gateways. So it's like, well. What what is the origin of the extraordinary vessels? It's the egg in physical terms, it's the egg of our mother and the sperm of our father, and how they come together. And that creates with the Chinese, everything's always more than just the physical. Within that, we're drawing together two ancestral lines. So it's not just our mother and our father, it's all you know, all our ancestors back and that whole connection back through history. And then but also how we weave that together is very individual that we are we are of our mother and of our father but we're more than them and that's really the essence and when we work with the extraordinary vessels we have the opportunity to really repattern these any limiting ancestral patterns but also we can draw on the support of our ancestors and that's the basis and so also the time that we were conceived where we are in the world it's kind of like we've set all the parameters for how our life is going to play out by not just our mother and our father but where in the world they live the historical period you know where what's going on in the world or first in the country that we're living in then in the world and all of that influences us and then as we So it basically contains all aspects of our being. And then as we grow in the womb, these extraordinary vessels are really what help us to grow and develop. So without getting into the detail too much about where they are in our, our body, but I have talked about four of their core organs, like the palaces the kidneys, the heart and the brain. I mean, that's a really simple way to connect with them, actually, because it joins together lots of different aspects. The kidneys is very much the ancestral aspect. The womb is very well, the womb in the wider sense, the palaces. So the womb, when when you talk about the womb in Chinese medicine, actually it's the fallopian tubes, the ovaries, the vagina, the clitoris, it's everything, which is why I kind of tend to use the word palaces now think of it as a big palace with lots of rooms and um and and you can see okay growth and reproduction it's it they're the energies that well the egg and the sperm is our dna so the extraordinary vessels are are expressing our energetic our dna and our energetic dna so i see it like dna and so like DNA, we can always change. We don't have to be limited by our parents and the time that we were born. We can always transform in any moment. And that's what I love about them because they
0: Hearing that, have, hearing that, everything, everything, I'm everything is releasing. My shoulders just drop. You probably can't hear it on Zoom, a massive exhalation, it's like, oh my <laughs> god. So we're not limited. Hmm. By the patterns from our ancestry and our parents
2: yeah we might feel we are and sometimes we tell ourselves stories that we are oh because my parents or oh this is my family history but then we're just continuing it we don't have to tell that story to ourselves we can anytime change the narrative and that's what those gateways anytime we can but the gateways it's easier that's what the Chinese say. So yes, in any moment you can choose to change, but there are times in our lives when it's easier. And that's really what I think the menopause, it's our last time, well, it's not our last time, but it's a time when so much more stuff comes up. And rather than seeing that as a a threat, Yes, it's a challenge, but it's like, yeah, actually, it's just showing us what we might want to still transform. What do we still need to do? And why are we afraid of that? Mm. We can change our narrative.
0: Mm. I mean, I'm just enjoying this conversation so much. And it's really making me think about the stories that we, as a culture, we tell ourselves about menopause. Yes. The story here is about uh, dysfunction fear messiness madness still if you look in the newspapers that's what's that's what's being picked up and then in a different culture and a different system of medicine there's a, a story where it's easier to change mm. and of
2: yes exactly and it's not a time of illness it's a time of freedom actually We can, you know, we can really have an opportunity to change and to make changes. And it's a long gateway, isn't it? I mean, if you think about our time in the womb, well, that's a whole other story. I mean, that's nine months. But the Chinese saw each day as thousands of years of evolution. So it's kind of not Earth time, nine months. But pregnancy as a woman is nine months. Puberty. Is over. Well, puberty is a few years, but you know, with, with the whole talk about perimenopause, things are starting to change. And in Chinese medicine, they say peak fertility for women is after 35. But it's all relative. This is the thing in Chinese medicine. It's not, it's not like you're infertile after 35. It's just it's your peak fertility in its physical sense. But actually... As things are changing, you may be mature emotionally. So your matu- your emotional or your energetic maturation outweighs the physical decline of our body. But the physical decline, I think we need to remember the Chinese say: yes, our energy is declining, but if we look after our essence, so we look after our kidneys, we look after our extraordinary vessels. Even when we're a hundred, we can be well. I mean, obviously, we're not doing the same physical things as when we were 50, but they see it as quite, you know, we we just need to know how to look after ourselves, how to nourish ourselves, how to navigate the changes. And one thing I did want to say, and I don't know how much you're aware of this, but like you say, it's about the stories that we tell ourselves. And... The, the the kind of dominant story for the menopause is we're oestrogen deficient, isn't it? Like the medical thing. But we're actually only going back to the levels of oestrogen we had before adolescence. And nobody said we were oestrogen deficient when we were before we started menstruating. So I kind of think that's what the body's doing naturally. If you look, change the narrative, the Chinese would say... I mean, they don't, they obviously didn't know about oestrogen, but they just said, look, all this energy that we've been giving out to some to nurture another being, potentially nurture another being a baby, we need to take back for ourselves. So we actually don't need lots of oestrogen because we're, we're not using our energy in that kind of way. So... Yes, they didn't talk about estrogen deficiency, but I think firstly, it's really fascinating. When I realized that we just go back to how we were before puberty, I thought, yeah, so that's kind of like a second spring, isn't it? Like we just go back, our bodies are changing and they're meant to change. That's what the bodies do naturally. Why would there be anything wrong with that? It's not a deficiency, it's our body's response to a changing situation does that yeah. make sense absolutely
0: it's it's language matters and i think if it's the reason that it's given the name deficiency is because then we can be sold something right. to replace it yeah it's an excellent it's an excellent sales strategy it's like rinse and repeat
1: yeah
2: yeah but we don't we're not deficient no i mean to be honest i I got into Chinese medicine because I had, partly because I had really painful, heavy periods and I just needed to do something. And I didn't want to take drugs, Western medicine. I don't know why, because I didn't know anything about shiatsu at the time, but I just felt, no, I just think it was my... um, Martyrship thing like I can I just get on with it. My dad was really like, Oh, you don't need a pill for a headache. Just get on with it. So I think I thought, Oh, I just have to get on with it. I can't take a pill that's, that's dropping out. So I got into shatsu and it really started making a difference. And by the time I got to the menopause, I've spent so many years doing Chinese medicine and doing exercise and receiving shiatsu. I, ag- I agree. That's really important. Not necessarily only shatsu, but body work. I wasn't actually that great always at receiving it until the menopause. And then I actually, for me, my main symptom of the menopause was falling off my bike and hurting my shoulder. And it was a real wake up call like Suzanne you're not invincible you can't just carry on and say you can do this and this and this you really have to look after yourself more and ever since then I have been much nicer to myself than I used to be so that was my gift of the better really it did really help me to feel yeah I do need to stop I'm not invincible I have to start taking care of myself and receiving so, I,
0: I want people to know that there are loads, you've made loads of fantastic videos on YouTube to uh, with exercises and practices to support the extraordinary vessels.
2: Um,
0: what do they search for? Is it under Well Mother or is it under Suzanne Yates?
2: it's actually under mother i did think about changing the name but then i thought actually it's about mothering ourselves initially of my work was a lot with pregnancy and birth and that's why I, I talk often about pregnancy and birth and that's what's helped me ask questions like what happens to the disappearing eggs and um yeah surely these changes are a natural part of our body when we get to the menopause um yes so I, I decided to keep the name Well Mother because it's about mothering ourselves and men and anybody can learn to, mothering is a quality like a more, if anyone knows about Chinese medicine, a more yin and more nurturing and more taking time for ourselves and loving ourselves in a particular way. So I still call my business Well Mother, but mothering ourselves and mothering the earth and looking after everything, looking after our environment, As a way of looking after ourselves too and the chinese yes so that's how you can i'm on a bit of a mission to just explain some of the things that i've alluded to you in this talk because most people don't know about the extraordinary vessels and they are truly extraordinary and there's some really simple things that you can do to connect with them and to transform exercises breathing visualization i've done i'm about to release a video an audio visualization on the journey of the egg oh because so i also wonder how many of your listeners know when we have the most eggs in our body i mean i won't put you on the spot i mean you can answer if you want you might know because you've done some courses with me but like how old are we because this is a thing also with the menopause isn't it and the perimenopause or pre menopause I personally think is more accurate, that women get worried about their reducing number of eggs. And I kind of say, well, did you know when you had the most eggs? And did you know how many eggs you had? Well, it was actually when you were still in the womb, which it all comes back to the womb. When you were twenty, only 20 weeks in the womb, obviously they're immature eggs, but you had 5 million eggs then, 5 to 7 million eggs. Already by the time we're born, we only have a few hundred thousand. Already by the time we enter the puberty, we have way less. So we've been losing all these eggs since we were 20 weeks in the womb. So another year or two, you're not really losing that many more eggs. Do you know what I mean? It's all this like we've got a problem. We're running out of eggs or we're running out of estrogen. No, we're not. They're just it's just part of our energy, our essence.
0: So to close, can you give me uh come up with a a top tip or a practice if you prefer for a contented menopause, maybe something to feed a way of feeding ourselves, of nourishing ourselves and receiving?
2: I think a top tip. This is might sound very simple and trite, but I actually think it's the most important is just close your eyes and take a deep breath and allow yourself to receive whatever you need to receive in this moment and feel where in your body you want to receive it maybe it's in your heart what do you want to receive in your heart maybe it's in your palaces what do you want to receive in your palaces maybe it's in your kidneys maybe it's in your brain but just take a moment to be still to be comfortable so yes to take a moment To just, with your eyes closed, feel into what you need to be comfortable. Maybe it's changing position. Maybe it's moving. Maybe it's just breathing out. But as well as being aware of what you want to receive, to really feel that for a moment. What do you need? What do you want? to receive and allow yourself to receive whatever you need. But as well as receiving, we need to be able to let go of what we no longer need. That's often a bit easier to do on an out breath, if that helps. But it could, so you earlier on said you sighed, so you might want to sigh and let go. What you no longer need. You might release your jaw. You might make a sound. It could be a movement, but just take a moment to release what you no longer need. So with each in-breath, you can receive with each out breath you can release but just know that you know you know what is best for you what you need to receive you know what you need to release so always come back to yourself and your wisdom and connection
0: Oh, that feels good. Now I'm connected with my infinite potential and the earth. All is exceedingly well in my world and I hope it is in yours too. And if you fancy more info about Suzanne's work, and actually what I recommend is you go and check out her practices because there's a lot more stuff about the extraordinary vessels and similar practices the movement and all kinds of information on her youtube channel and that's at if you search for Well Mother on youtube you'll find that there her website is wellmother.uk uh, and she's on instagram as suzanne yates wellmother and that's suzanne s-u-z-a-n-n-e yates wellmother Where else might you like to go? Oh, you also might enjoy her Substack, which is slash rewriting your life. My book, Second Spring The Self Care Guide to Menopause, is available from your favourite independent bookshop. And if you fancy exploring one to one sessions or a retreat day or a circle, you can go to my booking page at katecodrington.co.uk where you can book a free chat and we can figure out something delicious for you. And if you've enjoyed this episode, it would be wonderful if you could share it with a friend uh, or share it on your socials. That would be great. Or rate it or leave a review on iTunes. And I read everyone and it everyone just completely busts my heart. I so appreciate your support. Everything you do to support this endeavour makes a huge difference and I hope that together we can spread the word that we don't need fixing and mostly we suffer because of the messed up systems we live in. And if this is your first episode, if you've not listened to Life and Inside Job before, do have a little look through the archives. There are loads of episodes on not just perimenopause and menopause but creativity on autism adhd on movement yoga consciousness aging money clothes just loads of stuff loads of interesting things and thank you thank you for listening and i'll be back in your ears very soon